the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. He's just taking up space. Well, in this case, it's a lot of space because it's Chris Christie. He actually took time away from other candidates in the Republican debate Wednesday night, you know, to see if he could increase his poll numbers, maybe get him up to 2%. I don't think that happened, but he, he went way up in the polls here. In fact, we declared him the winner. And now it's time for the Jerk of the Week, starring John Steigerwald. Yeah, Chris likes to portray himself as a tough guy, uh, and you know he couldn't contain himself. He was probably about to burst when he finally got his chance. I want to look at that camera right now and tell you, Donald, I know you're watching. You can't help yourself. I know you're watching, okay? And you're not here tonight, not because of polls and not because of your indictments. You're not here tonight because you're afraid of being on the stage and defending your record. You're ducking these things. And let me tell you what's going to happen. You keep doing that, no one up here is going to call you Donald Trump anymore. We're going to call you Donald Duck. <laughs> Boy, that's funny. He hates Donald Trump, mainly because Trump got to be president and he didn't. And then I guess uh, Donald Trump didn't hire him to be uh, attorney general or something. But Chris actually had to spend time as a politician, and lots of politicians hate Trump for not being a politician and not having to pay his dues. But nobody can say Chris Christie didn't deserve to be named the AM1250 The Answer Jerk of the Week. And when we come back, one of my favorite guests, Professor of Communications at DePaul University, Jeff McCall to talk about the media ignoring the impeachment inquiry, inquiry and the, uh, the coverage of the debate and other stuff. And speaking of the media, Libby Emmons of the Post Millennium will be here to talk about the hatchet job being done on Russell Brand, who had the nerve to wake up from being woke. Stick around. Hey, remember the good old days when an impeachment inquiry uh, on a sitting president would have been a pretty big deal? We had one of those this week, in case you missed it. Uh, the networks didn't seem all that interested. Uh, Jeff McCall is a professor of communications at DePaul University and a media critic for The Hill and uh, one of our favorite guests here. He joins us now. Jeff, thanks for coming on again. Uh, you're welcome, John. It's been a couple of weeks since we talked to you. Did you uh, did you notice a little less enthousi- enthusiasm from the uh, the big three and I guess CNN and MSNBC for, for Biden impeachment news than they had for Trump impeachment news? A lot less enthusiasm when you get right down to it. And in fact, it's, it's basically a blackout that they're not interested in covering it at all. And what's, what's really astounding is to think during the Trump era, when the impeachment inquiries happened, you know, CNN and MSNBC and The New York Times, they basically sainted guys like Eric Swalwell and, uh, you know, the, the Democratic leaders of that impeachment thing, including Adam Schiff, for example, uh, who, who made a name for himself. Nobody had ever heard of Adam Schiff until these impeachment hearings began, for Trump, that is. But when that all took off, I mean, that was all over the place. And by the way, when I think, a, you know, a House starts an impeachment inquiry, 
it is news. So, I mean, I, I, I don't blame those media outlets back then for covering it at all, but I did blame them for the exaggerated way in which they covered it and also the people they allowed to run their mouths and make personal names for themselves while exploiting the situation. Uh, but interestingly, you know, that all happened years ago. But now, you know, the House is looking into the Biden situation and beginning an inquiry regarding impeachment. They haven't even decided to do it yet, of course. But it seems like the networks are just not interested in all. And this kind of continues what is the establishment media's running game plan, provide cover for Biden, pretend like there's no there there. And when you get right down to it, there's more evidence of possible impeachment problems for Biden at this time than there would have been regarding Trump when they went after him several years ago, of course. And they went after Trump a couple different times, you know, first over the Russia collusion and then over the, the uh, Ukraine phone call. And I'm thinking, when you get right down to it, the things that are being alleged about Biden are far more dangerous and worse to the nation than the stuff that Trump was alleged to have done, particularly given that the Russian collusion thing was totally made up out of thin air. Yeah, and news newsbusters pointed out that ABC, CBS, and NBC, as you mentioned, they all covered uh, Nancy Pelosi wall to wall during the January sixth hearings, for example. But they had no live coverage of these hearings. A, a president is has a, an inquiry uh, about to be uh, is taking place that could lead to his impeachment and might not. But they didn't think that was worthy of live coverage. Yeah. And you know what else is interesting is when you look at the coverage that you do see, what what little coverage there is of the impeachment inquiry regarding Biden. When you look at that, uh, what little coverage there is in The New York Times or on CNN or whatever, they always say the House impeachment inquiry began and they are alleging blah, 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 but have no evidence. There's no evidence of. Mm -hmm. And they keep pointing out that there's no evidence. And I'm thinking, well, I don't think the evidence is conclusive necessarily and there are still some dots to be connected but it's not like there's no evidence we do have some evidence that money flowed from foreign countries to the biden family and somebody was coordinating that effort now how close joe biden was to that operation is still to be determined and that's where i think the republicans really need to work to connect the dots but it's not like there's zero evidence and it's just hard to imagine that Hunter Biden and Biden's brother would somehow be coordinating all this stuff and Joe would be completely out of the radar on this. So, I mean, there is evidence. And so when you write these stories and say, oh, the Republicans are all have their hair on fire impeachment inquiry, but they have no evidence. I'm thinking that that is totally a mischaracterization and it's an intentional mischaracterization. And it's it's one thing for the media to be biased enough or I'm sorry, for the for the Democrats to be biased enough to say there's no evidence, and that's to be expected from them, and they would say that even if they knew there was a lot of evidence. That's because that's what politicians do. But you listen to the people in the media, and they're saying the same thing, and almost in the exact same way with the same words. Well, no no doubt that uh, the Democratic hierarchy, the Democratic leaders in the House, probably the White House itself, certainly people at the DNC, there's there's certainly – no doubt that they are, you know, providing their talking points, their rebuttals, whatever, to the media, uh, and maybe directly to correspondents, but certainly to producers and editors. And that's getting translated and broadcast over the air, which is kind of disappointing because, as you and I've talked before, the whole point of having a free press 
is that they act independently and they're not part of the political machine. And, and I mean, when you think of dictatorial countries, the problem with all of those dictatorial countries, you know, whether we're talking Cuba, North Korea, Russia, whatever, all these places, the problem with them is that the press is closely linked and taking orders from the ruling party, the government, the dictators, the despots in the process. And that's what corrupts, you know, the political system, frankly, is because there's no independent uh, scrutiny. There's no independent enterprise or anything like that, which is the free press's job. And so it just really disappoints me when I think that these establishment media types start coordinating and taking marching orders, you know, from government offices uh, because they're letting us down. I mean, the, the free press was created that, to provide a balance to the government and to inform and represent the interest of the people. And when they're just repeating talking points that they're getting from the DNC or the White House press office or whatever, they're really, number one, they're, they're prostituting themselves. But number two, they're letting us down as citizens. And I think we deserve better. And it, it's almost insulting to think that we're out here as news consumers and we can't put any confidence that this information they're going to report to us is being done fairly and without favor. And it's, it's no wonder, you know, credibility ratings for the, the, the establishment media continue to go down the drain because nobody has any confidence in them anymore. And I think you and I talked about it the last time you were on a couple of weeks ago, because I think right before you came on, um, the White House actually sent out a directive almost to the media to tell them, hey, listen, this uh, impeachment stuff's going to start pretty soon here. Just make sure you, you realize that there's no evidence and make sure you point that out. And it's like they they read the memo and they all said, yeah, OK, we're on with that. We're down with that. Yeah. And I must say, you, you don't want the media out to outkick its coverage on any particular coverage, but they certainly shouldn't be taking their marching orders from the White House. And the White House, again, they, they've got every right to try to spin things as what they want and even to try to spin it through the media. The problem is that the media is so cowed by these guys and, or fearful or just oblivious that they're willing to pass it on as as PR. And I'm just thinking somebody in these news organizations, corporate offices ought to have enough backbone and professionalism and sense of purpose to be able to say, we're not going to take marching orders from the White House uh, or the DNC or, you know, the speaker's office or anybody else. We are going to try to operate independently and report what we think is news as news. And I think that's the issue here over the over the several years is that what is defined as news has been totally bastardized by the mainstream media. They don't look at news independently, you know, for what its high impact is, for what its relevance is, for what its timeliness is. We've got news organizations now that view themselves as activists mm -hmm. and they they intend to change or alter the course of history by the way they report things. Well, and I'm thinking, okay, here's the problem with that. That's exactly what happened in the Soviet Union. Yeah. The professional journalists were all in jail or, or killed, and what was left were the people who were running propaganda for the, 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 the Stalin administration, and you know, after that, Khrushchev and everybody else. But that's why the, the Soviet people had no idea of really what was going on around them, and and, and the sad thing is we should know by now through history that those systems eventually collapse 
but not until after a ton of carnage and hardship for the citizens and ultimately the whole society. It's kind of hard to come back from, too. Uh, it it seems, uh, Je- we're talking to Jeff McCall, he's a DePaul University professor of communications. Um, it seems, I don't know, maybe it's me, but it seems like the bar for what a, what qualifies as evidence is a little higher for Joe Biden than it was for uh, Donald Trump. Yeah, I, I think um, with the Trump impeachment inquiries, it was basically anything anybody could allege. Uh, or any mouthpiece that they could get to come sit in front of a congressional hearing was supposed to be taken at face value. Uh, but you think of how much uh, the the James Comer and Jim Jordan inquiries have brought to the surface, and they brought in whistleblowers, and they're providing documents and data about economic transfers and stuff like that. And all that information is just being, you know, discarded out of hand by the establishment media. Uh, and again, probably on guidance from the White House or the DNC or whatever. But the bottom line here is there is some evidence, and they spend all their time trying to dismiss it or discredit it. Uh, but it, it's quite different from the standards of the Trump legal problems or impeachment problems of before when they were running up all kinds of irresponsible people, uh, including guys like Mike, Michael Avenatti, who ended up in jail, yeah. <laughs> you know, because he was a crook and a fraud. And they were promoting but him for president. Think of how often that guy was on the mainstream media and quoted in the traditional media uh, as the guy who had the ha- the handle on everything and the answers to everything. And, we, and you know, and at the time, maybe we didn't all know that, but he did seem a little bit like a snake oil salesman. But they bought everything he was saying, hook, line, and sinker. And they were, you know, elevating him to the point where, oh, we should all believe Michael Avenatti. And now we find out, like, he was he was a total fraud. We're talking to Jeff McCall. As I said, he's a professor of communications at DePaul University. I actually teach a class um, in a, at a school here. And I, I, um, uh, my, I'm, I'm, I'm not a teacher as much as I am a coach. And I, I coach young people in how to write for and read from a teleprompter, which uh, some people think might be easy, but, well, you can just take a look at Joe Biden and see it's not. But <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but um, I, I was a, a pretty good-sized fan of Jesse Waters at one point, uh, Jeff, and now I find him unwatchable. And if I, if I were to see one of the kids I'm dealing with doing what he does with the hand gestures, which is what's killing me, I would tell them to cut it out. It's just, and so I, 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 I think that I'm being too sensitive, I'm being too picky, but I've talked to some other people, and they're noticing the same thing. The guy, as my dad used to say, needs to cheer down a little bit and, and cut out <laughs> the hand gesturing. That's what I have. Have you noticed that? Yeah, you know, I, I do watch Jesse you know, a couple times a week, not every night, but a couple times a week usually. Uh, here's a little anecdote from the past. Jesse Waters, of course, was a producer on Bill Riley, Bill O'Reilly's right. program for many years. And uh, I actually worked with Jesse when he was a producer and the several times I was a guest on uh, Bill O'Reilly's program. Okay, so I-, I knew him a little bit, I mean, uh, pro- professionally, I must say, mm-hmm. uh, back in the day. Uh, and I must appreciate that, you know, he's gone from being a producer to having a primetime show. And I Big think one, that's yeah. great. And... Um, I think he's, you know, worked hard to get to where he is, and and I think he's clever. Uh, but I must say, I I agree with you, though your essence here, that in prime time, I think he has tried to change his uh, his stick, so to speak, or the way he goes about his show. Now, 
a lot of that could be due to who his bosses are or what they're coaching him to do and yeah. whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I think you're right <clears throat> that he's maybe uh, pushed this needle a little too far. And, and one thing is, I think Fox put him in this position, this 8 o'clock spot, uh, because he is younger, you know, he is a little cooler, so to speak, than the old guard. Right. And um, I think they're trying to attract younger demographics, which is, is fine with me, because uh, we do want younger demographics to pay attention to the news. Mm-hmm. But I think the issue here is that uh, you, you can't make a primetime news program, e- even an opinionated news program, you can't make it too flip. And so, I mean, a lot of times, even in his monologue or before his interviews, they set these things up with little snippets and catchphrases from movies or dramas or things right, like that, right. or like pop, pop culture references. And there, there's a point where if you go too far pop culture, you're going to kind of lose some of your standing as a, as a journalist, for one thing. And I think it kind of diminishes the nature of the show. And I'm not sure, actually, that that actually does attract, attract younger demographics anyway. No. Because the, the, the younger demographics who are all into pop culture are not going to be watching Fox News, particularly for news programs or news opinion in the evening. And so the younger demographics who might actually go into these programs are more likely to look for sensible news and sensible commentary. So I do think Jesse is, a, is attacking many of the key issues. I think he has a good perspective on a lot of the issues he's raising. But I do think in terms of the presentational style and some of the over-dramatization, in, including the hand gestures, as oh, you mentioned. The hand gestures, Jeff, I, they, they, uh, I had the bail last night. I couldn't take it anymore. I switched over to I, Newsmax, I, and I'm never going back. I do think those could be toned back a little bit, and I think, it, and it wouldn't hurt him for what the other, for, for what most of his viewers want in terms of news coverage and analysis. But I think we could tone back a little bit of the more uh, entertainment side of uh, television. Yeah, and I, I have about forty seconds left here. I talked to a guy last night who used to work at Fox, and he said when he worked there, when Roger Ailes was there the phone would ring in the control rooms, and it would be Roger Ailes. And if he saw what Jesse Waters was up to, he said he would have gotten the phone. The phone call would have gone to the director and say, tell him to tone it down a notch. Or yeah. even even a comment on somebody's eye shadow to that point. that he, That's how much control he had. Somebody needs to get the guy and tell him to calm down. Yeah, Ailes ran a very tight ship, uh, but it was clear that he had expectations and standards for what programs should look like. And he didn't want people ranging too far from that kind of brand. And I must say, he put a, put together an operation that worked. Yeah. Well, I've, I'm a Newsmax viewer now, and so we'll, uh, the next time we talk, I'll maybe we'll talk about Newsmax. But I, I appreciate great. you coming on, Jeff, as usual. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, that's Jeff McCall, DePaul University. We'll be right back. Well, you may or may not uh, know who Russell Brand is, but everybody who uh, should probably be made aware of, of what's been happening to him lately. And Libby Emmons, the managing editor of the Post Millennial, has been doing that, and she joins us now. Good to have you back on the show, Libby. Thank you. Hey, how's it going? I'm glad to be good, here. Good. So um, at one time, Russell Brand was a stand-up comedian and an actor, pretty big deal, and a raging liberal, I guess I should say. The media have been coming after him hard. What did he do to have them turn against him? Yeah, so this is actually a pretty interesting story. Russell Brand was uh, notorious for his drug use and philandering back in the day. 
Uh, he wrote about it. He spoke openly about it. He was, um, yeah, pretty, pretty notorious for that. There had been rumors about him in the entertainment industry for years that he would, you know, he was very into women and very into intoxication and all of that. Uh, so he was an A-lister in Hollywood. He was in films and whatnot. He had a, a show in the UK, um, which was basically him criticizing or talking about Big Brother, that show. And then in recent years, of course, he has started being highly critical of COVID, of um, the Biden administration, of the war in Ukraine, and many other of the mainstream progressive narratives that have been pushed by uh, media and Democrats, frankly. So it was in 2019 that the Times of London started investigating, doing their own research, investigating Russell Brand's relationships with women. They spent a great deal of time on this. And they uh, uncovered four women who, three of whom would only speak anonymously, and the other one who was an ex-girlfriend, one of whom claimed that she had been raped in his home after she went to his house for the purpose of a sexual encounter, and three others. Two of them were ex-girlfriends who said that he was essentially a really crappy boyfriend, and another one had been a co-worker who said that he made untoward advances. So, yeah, so that's basically the long and the short of it of what happened um, to, you know, th that started all of the all of the tumult. As soon as the Times of London, though, came out with their report on this, which they did in conjunction with a couple of other news outlets in the UK, you had YouTube, which is where Russell Brand had his show. Um, he had several channels. YouTube demonetized him, meaning that he can't make any money from the content that he runs on that platform. After YouTube demonetized him, you had a collection of MPs from the UK led by Dame uh, Caroline Dinanage or something like that. I can't pronounce her name exactly. Um, who reached out to other streaming platforms to inquire if they had intentions to demonetize Russell Brand as well. What yeah. was really fast? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, uh, stop you there because you're talking about it's one thing for uh, somebody writing for a newspaper or for a, a website or for working in a, in a somewhere else in the media to try to cancel them, but we're we're talking about someone in Parliament calling up uh, or or contacting a a, a, um, a, 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 a platform and saying, "Hey, listen, uh, be a really good idea. We think it'd be a really good idea if you didn't." give this guy uh, any platform anymore um aren't they supposed to it's none of their business kind of if it's in a free country it's none of your business yeah. who we put up on our platform as long as it's you know not something that's uh obscene that or you know some that, that kind of censorship yeah i agree with you fully i think that it's a totally different beast YouTube, I think, is wrong to demonetize Russell Brand based on anonymous accusations alone. I think everyone is entitled to due process, of course, under the law. If a crime has been committed, let's, you know, like whoever's responsible for that, let's file charges, uh, you know, conduct a proper criminal investigation. If they're just anonymous allegations, I don't think, I think that's a witch trial scenario, and there's absolutely no reason to go along with that. But what was really shocking to me, in addition to um, members of parliament reaching out to streaming platforms, 
essentially demanding that they demonetize Russell Brand. What was really shocking is after that report um, came out, NBC contacted uh, advertisers who had sponsored Russell Brand and asked them if they would pull their advertising. And many of those advertisers did that as soon as they heard from NBC. They probably didn't even know in some cases that their ads were appearing alongside Russell Brand and they pulled back their advertising. Um, Another streaming platform, Rumble, when they were contacted by these MPs, Rumble said, hey, we're dedicated to free speech. We believe everyone is entitled to due process. There's no reason at all that we're going to cut a man's living based on anonymous allegations. And what happened after that was even more shocking, which is a company called The News Movement, which is uh, founded, I think, in 2020, launched in 2022, I think, uh, by people who used to work for the Dow Jones and the BBC. They reached out to advertisers who advertise companies that advertise on Rumble. And they said, hey, your company advertises on Rumble. Rumble won't demonetize Russell Brand. Don't you think you should cancel your ads on Rumble? So they went even further. And instead of just going after this man, which is bad enough, now they're going after a company that won't go after the man that they want to target. It's what am- is up with that? Like, what kind of what kind of press is that? It's amazing. And so what's, what's his crime, aside from the the possible crimes that maybe they're trying to dig up with the women. uh, Does this happen when liberal outlets think that you are a traitor to the cause? He used to be one of them and now he's, you know, he's going against the vaccine and he's, he's not uh, waving the Ukraine flag around. Um, This, this is something I I get. You can just kind of see them sitting in their offices go, wait a minute, we can't let this happen. This, this, this guy yeah, used to be one know, of us. Let's go get him. Right? I think you could look at it that way as well. They certainly are not comfortable having anyone object to these narratives about COVID, the vaccine, or the war in Ukraine. And it's really the war in Ukraine, I think, that is heating so many people up because we see Republicans in Congress starting to actually make a difference with regard to um, how the how the American people are feeling about this war, the more they expose how much money is being spent, how little impact that money really is having, um, and the travesty that we have of our open border, the more people are becoming aware that perhaps funding a war um, for as long as it takes, as Biden likes to say, is not the best use of our tax funds. We're talking to Libby Edmonds. She's the uh, executive editor at the uh, managing editor at the Post Millennial. Uh, the editor in chief. Jeff. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Editor in chief. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You have the. Is there a managing editor too? No. There's there's me, and then I have a host of really talented editors. Uh, okay. Good. But I, I didn't know if yeah. there was like a managing editor was like a deputy executive editor, but um, I was never a boss, so I just I was always been a plebe. Um, so, um, so a lot to be said for that. Yeah, so you're you're writing about this, uh, and what you've been describing here is bad enough if it's all spontaneous or, or organic. But the kind of the point of the piece that you had up at Post Millennial is that it's it's orchestrated, and you've it's you've seen evidence that it's been orchestrated. So that's really disturbing, isn't it? 
Um, yeah, that's really the, uh, that's what I find so disturbing is that it's not just uh, anonymous allegations that were dug up. I mean, the other thing too is the times when they contacted these women to talk about the anonymous, to, to like try and get um, them to come out against Russell Brand, the article very clearly stated that these women were not going to come forward were they not contacted by journalists. And that part of why they decided to come forward was because of Russell Brand's newfound success in alternative media. And the other thing, too, I think it's clear that The Times and the BBC and Channel 4 and whoever else um, is like, you know, doing mainstream media, they are feeling threatened by alternative media. They are feeling threatened by an independent, um, you know, by independent streaming platforms and by independent news outlets because that's who they come for. And you see the same people coming for these outlets over and over again. The same people who are now going after uh, companies that advertise on Rumble saying, hey, don't you want to pull your ads? Don't you want to pull down what you have on Rumble and help us bankrupt that platform? These, some of these same activists are ones that have come after the post-millennial and they've come after the post-millennial because we are an outlet that, you know, Andy No, who's a world-renowned New York best-selling author and journalist, um, Andy No exposes Antifa. He's a senior editor at the Post Millennial, and we've always stood by Andy, of course, because you know he's brilliant and he's 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 our you know our investigative reporter. We believe in his work, um, but these activists go after Rumble. And they go after us at the post-millennial as well. Uh, and they don't want to see independent media survive. Um, it was really interesting this week. I don't know if you caught the interview Tucker Carlson did with Bill Riley. I missed that. Um, I heard about it. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I actually found it really interesting. I think I found it interesting, especially because it was two old newsmen, you know, talking mm -hmm. shop. Um, and as someone who's involved in news media myself, I found that just fascinating. I mean, this is decades worth of experience between the two of them, decades upon decades. So it was fascinating. But one thing they talked about was the rise of independent media. And Bill O'Reilly said that when he was fired from Fox, he immediately pivoted to turning his BillOReilly.com into a news platform. Um, and he immediately, you know, went to radio where he already was having a show. Uh, but he immediately jumped on independent media and Tucker Carlson did the exact same thing, except he jumped into the new realm of streaming platforms, launching his show on Twitter. So it was pretty fascinating that in that. And I think that the news outlets that are doing things like digging around until they find anonymous allegations that they can use, not just against an individual, but in, against an entire portion of the industry, mm -hmm. uh, it looks to me like they're a little bit desperate and they feel that their bottom lines are being threatened. Well, let me ask you something. As an editor-in-chief, and you said that they've come after the post-millennial, can you just give me a description of what it's like to have them come after you as an editor? Um, and uh, what does that feel like and what does it look like? So what it looks like is having activists contact companies that show advertising on your website. Mm -hmm. And these are primarily advertisers that are part of um, the way it works is that you have uh, companies sign up with an ad company and then that ad company buys ads all over the internet at whatever prices they're being sold for it's kind of like almost an auction kind of thing mm -hmm. so they buy ads all over the internet and then place the ads for the companies 
that are their clients. So what you end up having is those companies contact the ad tech company and the ad tech company then tells us, you know, we can't have um, those ads and they like won't advertise with us. So that's kind of what it looks like. What it looks like is having your revenue threatened. Um, what it looks like is having suddenly difficulty making your bottom line because these ad, these activists don't think that you have a right to exist. Don't think that your readers have a right to read your news and don't think that those readers have a, have any place in media at all. Um, and so they come for us. We lose ad revenue. Uh, we keep surviving because we are scrappy and diligent and determined. But that's that's what it looks like. And what happens is they smear you. These activists smear you on social media. They contact, you know, groups that, you know, not for profits, leftist not for profits and say, hey, this this company, this media company is hateful because they platform and, you know, so obviously they are hateful and you can't work with them. That's what it looks like. It looks like a lot of smears um, and it looks like a lot of companies getting afraid. Uh, and it looks like a lot of activists who just don't think that half the U.S. population deserve to have a voice in mainstream media. Well, these companies uh, uh, that place the ads and the advertisers themselves, do they only react when it's um, a, a, an appeal to to attack conservative outlets? Are, yes, are the media exactly outlets, right. is anybody contacting them and saying, listen, you're not talking about cutting taxes enough, so we're going to have to pull our ads? Nope. They only go after conservative sites. And, they and, literally only go after conservative sites and conservative streaming platforms. They don't target YouTube. YouTube does what they say anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't, they don't really target Facebook. They target Twitter. They target Rumble. They target the Post Millennial and Daily Wire and Breitbart. Um, and you, YouTube caved, but Rumble did not. That's a pretty big difference to me. It's a huge difference, and I think it really speaks to what I hope is a growing trend among companies in the U.S. to really be dedicated to free speech, to really be dedicated to you know our Bill of Rights. Uh, you have a we have a president in office now who has said outright that not every right um, that rights are not absolute, and I find that absolutely abhorrent as a mm-hmm. concept. Right, free speech is absolute. Freedom of religion is absolute. Freedom to you know peacefully petition the government for a redress of grievances that's absolute. Freedom against illegal search and seizure that is absolute. You know freedom for due process absolute. Fully yeah. absolute. Yeah. You know, they want to go after our rights. Uh, they go after our, our rights to bear arms and to defend ourselves. We have these rights. They are not given to us by government. These rights are given to us by our creator. These are natural rights. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you something. Yeah, yeah, the I, government I, only rules at, at our discretion. Right, right. I have less than a minute left, and I, I, I'm just wondering again, as your in your position as uh, the editor in chief of the Post Millennial, we're talking to Libby Emmons. Um, I don't know if anybody calls anybody on the phone anymore, but is it the policy, or should it be the policy of any decent li- uh, media outlet that if somebody from the government calls you, you hang up on them, or whatever uh, no, the whatever the email <laughs> version of that would be. I don't I don't know about that. I am I am definitely open to speaking to representatives who are in the people's house. 
Um, I'm interested in, uh, you know, hearing what they have to say, but I'm not interested in having them tell me what to say. Well, I and guess I maybe hang up difference. on them when they start. Maybe if they call up with a decent, you know, with a, with a legitimate question. But if, if the first time you notice that they're questioning what you're covering and, and maybe trying to influence you, then should you hang up? Uh, yeah, maybe you should hang up at that point. Or you should, you know what you should do at that point? If you're in a single-party consent state, what you should do is record the phone call uh-huh. and publish it. That's hey, what you should do. Hey, Libby, always good to have you on. Hope to have you on again soon. You can be fu- uh, Libby can be found at the Post Millennial. And uh, thanks. We'll talk to you soon, I hope. Thanks so much, John. I appreciate it. Okay, that's Libby Emmons, and we'll be right back. Ah, it's Friday. How about some sports? Um, I, and I think this is a, a, a could be a big story, and I also think that it'll get not nearly the enough uh, the amount of coverage it should get uh, from the sports media. Yesterday, the XFL and the USFL uh, announced that they will be merging if they can get away with it. If it's not antitrust, and they're gonna they're gonna take a shot at merging. Now, maybe that doesn't seem like a big story because not that many people care about either the XFL or the USFL. But I think it's a big story for a couple of reasons. But the biggest is if you've been paying attention to what's been happening in college football with uh, the the players making large amounts of money for playing, transferring all over the place, uh, doing what uh, Deion Sanders has done at Colorado, which has brought in like uh, almost an entire roster full of transfers, and it's all about the money, and that's fine. Nobody's surprised or, or uh, scandalized by that. But this is a perfect example. If the XFL and the USL could expand and then – I'm sorry, merge and then expand and have more teams, maybe um, young men who want to become pro football players wouldn't have to have their ability to become a pro football tied in any way to academics – you know, the way, like, say, I don't know, Sidney Crosby had when he came out as an 18-year-old and went right, in, went right into the NHL, or the way so many baseball players do it, come out of high school and go right into the minor leagues. This is a way to begin to change, to make it, this could be the beginning of the end of the stupidity of college football and a way for college football maybe to get back to having something to do with college. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but I think it's it's worth a, um, a story or two in the uh, national sports media. I'm going to guess that that's not going to get too much coverage. I'll talk to you on Monday. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.